Hey, Josiah, do you want to come up? I've asked uh, Josiah to share uh, just a testimony uh, that he... Uh, he shared um, He shared just every week a bunch of the boys get together and hold each other gently accountable to how devotional lives are going. And uh, um, Josiah's been on that journey with us for a wee while now. Um, so he was just sharing kind of what his week looked like in terms of his devos and stuff. And I was so encouraged uh, that... And this is why I like, man, we've got to actually get a testimony slot going, which is where that night service I think is going to be really cool. Um, so just, I'm going to... I said I'd interview Josiah. Ladies and gentlemen, Bay Vineyard's favourite plumber, Josiah, come on. <laughs> Come over here, mate. So, um, so here's, here's, I just want to frame the story. Do you want, Josiah, do you want to tell us what was your devotional kind of practice? What did they look like before you kind of started leaning in a bit and trying to get a bit more intentional about it through the upper click thing? What did it look like? <laughs> uh, yeah, there wasn't much. Um, <laughs> sort of just been uh, Christian my whole life. And yeah, you just, you turn up on Sunday and you sort of dust the, dust the Bible off. That's sort of how it was. Eh? And then, yeah, this upper click, we, we came here 10 months ago, and I uh, just, yeah, wanted to get right into it, so um, every Thursday we meet, and yeah, just, it's pretty awesome. Um, cool. Yeah. So, like, tell us, like, to, like, what your best kind of day looks like in terms of devos, like, what kind of things do you do at the moment? Yeah, so at the moment, um, it's, I sort of get up early, we've got kids, so you've got to get up early. Um, Get up early, just I read, read a passage of, of the Bible and then um, just some prayer and I'll do some, some journaling. Um, just thoughts on wherever I'm at or if I've read something great in the Bible, I'll jot that down. Um, and then during the day, just plumbing, I can be anywhere, someone's bathroom with the door closed, so I can just chuck my Bluetooth headphones on and sort of just listen to some worship or, or um, John Tyson. Um, yeah, so that's sort of a, a good day, and then finishing with some prayer with the kids and wife, so yeah, that, that's a great day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty honest around um, when we don't have that. Hey, so tell us about this week and just what you shared with us, with the crew, because that gives some context, but just what, what you really felt the Lord was saying to you and how you responded to that this week. Cool, yeah, um, so this week... Uh, I was just reading through some passages that uh, Paul had, had written, and, and, he wor- and he was talking about working hard for Jesus and like actually working hard for the Lord. And I was sort of like, oh, what, is, what does working hard look like? So as I'm journaling, I'm just sort of like, well, whenever you work hard, whether it's mentally or physically, you're sort of uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, however that looks. So I was just like, oh. So I said this quick prayer like, Lord, let me get uncomfortable today. So I wrote that down, eh? And then I like jump in the van and off to work I go and I'm plumbing out this guy's uh, laundry and I turn up to his house and he hasn't been able to get into the doctors. He's got a crook back and he's waiting for surgery and he's just behind a long list and it's, it's pretty, I was feeling for him a bit and then boom, eh, I'll just get this voice in my head like, yeah, you got to pray for him. I'm just like, ah, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, thanks. So yeah, I sort of like, Three hours go by while I'm working and I'm just, you know, playing it over in my head how it's going to go and overthinking it and sweating and, like, dropping presents and it wasn't good. And then um, I just, at the end, was sort of like, yeah, sweet, I'll send out the invoice and uh, can I pray for you? And it was just, yeah, it was pretty cool. He just said, yep, yep, let, yeah, that'd be awesome, I'd love that. And so, yeah, I was just, like, just done it as quick as possible and sort of... <laughs> Kept it short and sweet, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was actually just like, you jump in the van after that, and I was just buzzing, eh? Just like, 
cloud nine, like, it was pretty cool. And then, yeah, um, got a text later on from his wife just saying, like, thank you so much. It's a really hard time we're going through, and, and that meant, meant a lot. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome, bro. Thank you. Isn't that fantastic? I just love, I love the whole journey. I love the fact that it was all a bit rubbish a couple of years ago. I love the fact that he's just lent into the devotional thing. And then, like, we haven't been preaching, which we are going to do, I think, in term one next year, you know, around praying for others and the missional thing and the kingdom thing a bit more. I want to lean into that maybe a bit more. We haven't been, just like the Spirit of God just been there, like, leading him into a, uh, in a lovely, uncomfortable place where God's king, that's the intersection of God's kingdom there. So, so cool. Grant, do you want to bring up the first slide for me, mate? Uh, I want to speak this morning, and it taps in so beautifully to... Um, to that, uh, about what it looks like for us to have Jesus at the center. And actually, I think there's something happening in our, our culture at the moment that is really, um, yeah, it's really, I'm really interested in kind of what's going on here. But let's start with um, just having a look at this passage in Deuteronomy 8. This is something that I, I'm, again, I just think this is, thus saith the Lord, this is, I think, what the Lord's kind of been doing. Uh, so uh, the context, obviously, is that Israel's been in the wilderness And then uh, Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Now, the wilderness, so like the the Lord's led them into the wilderness. How many of us, you know, go through tough times and it's like, what's going on here? Sometimes the Lord leads us into desert places. Why? To to humble and to test you in order that you to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commands. Then I love this verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think what's happening in our culture at the moment is that there is like a barrenness. There's this wilderness kind of season that, that a lot of Christians have felt themselves in, and I think our wider culture's going through this, and that actually God's using that at the moment to cause a fresh hunger in the saints, a fresh hunger for Jesus, and he stirs up that hunger, not so that he can taunt us or make us you know, enjoy watching us look hungry, but so that he can feed us with the thing that satisfies like this deeper sense of satisfaction. And I love, as I've been chatting to lots of people in our church, the sense of like, you know what Josiah just kind of testified to there, like this fresh hunger, we need more than we've had in the past. We need, like there's a fresh hunger for, for God and there's this fresh kind of desire to put Jesus at the center of our lives. Uh, I was listening to an interesting podcast uh, by a guy called Mark Sayers, uh, who's a very smart guy. He's written a book called um, a Reappearing Church, which has been very formative in my thinking around what it looks like for us to set up uh, you know, a healthy church. And he was saying, you know what, there was a virus in the church before the current virus in our society. He's saying, like, before the virus, you know, there was, another, there was a virus that was going through the church, and that was where basically people were just becoming less and less to church. They were making up their own theology and values. And what happened is that we had a, really a church model that was about attending church. Uh, where it was like, man, even though people are turning up less and less, there's enough bums on seats, we're kind of doing okay. And that was kind of like the, the and what that breeds is just this consumer Christianity. Uh, and so what he was saying is actually what's happening is that's just getting fully culled right now. And actually churches need to move beyond uh, an attendance model to an apprenticeship to Jesus model, where it's about discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus. 
Now, obviously, as I'm hearing this, my leg's twitching because I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, that's totally what we're about. What does it look like to orientate our lives so that we increasingly learn to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did? Barely a sermon goes past where I don't mention that. We don't just talk about it. We've got all sorts of resources and home churches and everything, and upper clicks, and everything we're doing is, and now this is a part of it, the gathered church around the, you know, ideally around the table of the Lord uh, to worship Him. And I'm not minimizing this, but actually that's, that's no longer enough. And like as uh, Josiah said, you know, turning up with a dusty Bible, like you're literally like consumer Christianity is over. And, and, uh, and nominal Christianity where it's sort of bolted onto the side of your life, that's in its death throes and will die in the next couple of years. There's too many off-ramps if that's, your, if that's the de- the, 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 how deep your roots go. <laughs> like that's it. Like literally, I'm prepared as, I'm not worried about, I'm not even worried about church growth as a pastor anymore. I'm worried about church depth as a pastor. I'm like, man, like we, we have to actually come back to this place of it's apprenticeship to Jesus, not attending a church. And so there's a virus that was just about nominal consumer Christianity that was simply sweet. You can cruise along, no more, which I'm stoked about. I'm thrilled about. And he's making us hungry so that we would have a, 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 a model of Christianity that's actually devoted to Jesus, devoted to his body, devoted to his kingdom, a devoted uh, culture. And so this is, uh, w- w- I think, where we're at as a culture, both as a church and, uh, and as a wider society, and I'm thrilled by that. I'm like, oh, this is going to get good. It's going to get real good. You see another example of this um, in Luke uh, chapter 6. All these crowds have been following Jesus. And Jesus, again, isn't into the attendance model. He's into the apprenticeship model, it turns out. And so he starts challenging them in John chapter 6. N.T. Wright's commentary on this passage says this, It wasn't that Jesus was take, talking at too abstract a level, though no doubt there were some who found their heads spinning after the long discussion. Capernaum, I can't go into all the... I don't have time to go into all of John chapter 6, but this is a, bit of, a little bit of the context. But what happened there was, it was more that what he said made a huge hole in their worldview. And when that happens, some people prefer not to think about it anymore. If you go to a meeting where someone demolishes the way you've been brought up to think and offers you instead a way of looking at the world, which though convincing will be extremely costly, you may well find good reason to be somewhere else next time the preacher comes to town. <laughs> right? <laughs> And uh, I, I, I like that. I like that. At the end of the day, even in Bay Vineyard, friends, I want this to be a place where it doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or a seasoned believer. There's a sense where, as Josiah said, you're a little bit uncomfortable. You're a little, like, if, if, if you're comfortable not growing, there's something wrong. Like, if you're comfortable, I'm like, I love, I, again, I'm not, this isn't, just so everyone's aware of, like, where my heart's at this morning, I'm not trying to tell you off. I'm like, I'm just so encouraged about where we're at, and I'm just speaking to the life I see. I love seeing the growth in people. I love that, Josiah, it was rusty as on the old Devos 10 months ago, and now we're freaking on it, you know? And it's like, he's like Jimmy Jesus on his best day, you know? And so Jimmy Jesus the plumber turns up, and it's like, you know, this random guy, I'll pray for you. It's like, that is awesome. That's the trajectory I'm interested in. People being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. Jesus challenged them. And so then we see uh, what happened is people bailed. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Uh, and Jesus looks at the 12 and is like, you want to leave too, guys? <laughs> Peter answers him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Like, where else can we go? What a good line. Where else can we go? I've had really honest conversations with people in our church in the past, going through really tough seasons. And I know that the temptation has been to walk away from the Lord. And I've literally heard people say, but like, honestly, where else can you go? Where else can you go even when it gets tough and you're going through suffering and you don't understand what's, where the heck God is in your circumstances and all that? It's like, where else can you go? The alternative, friends, the, alter, the only alternative is nihilism. It's Jesus or nihilism. Now, what do I mean by now? Now, people don't think like this. Like, no one's like, oh, you know what? Jesus or nihilism? No, people just slide into what's basically a, a nihilistic worldview. Um, so, nihilism is basically. Uh, it's like there is no God, there's no, there's no purpose, there's no creator, there's no, like, it's just uh, that basically there's nothing in the world that really has any true meaning. There's no, you know, there's no inherent, uh, well, I've got morality and, uh, and you know, all the, because, like, where else can you go? Like, nihilism's just the only other option. Trust me, I've thought about this because pastoring is not particularly easy in this day and age. And I'm like, oh man, like this gig's tough. But it's like, where else can we go? It's like, Jesus, like where else can you go? You will not find a substitute for the one who has the words of life. That's it. Like it's Jesus or nihilism. It's Jesus or like there's no meaning. And I'm like, man, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, maybe some people try and come up with their own meaning in itself. Um, you know, cobble, most people try and cobble together some sort of meaning, which is where most of Western culture finds itself in, which is where uh, what's, I think, happening a lot is that politics are the new religion. So it's like, oh, so like, what can we give ourselves to that has some, like, that can bring some, affect some sort of change? Because we've lost faith in the kingdom of God or the church, or whatever. And so it's like, oh, so it's politics. So politics become this new religion, which is exactly what's happening. Honestly, come on, no one's going to push back on that. It's like, there's this fanaticism around politics because it's like, it's nihilism, it's Jesus or nihilism, but the nihilism's offset a little bit if you've got some sort of political hope. And by now, surely, we're so flippant disillusioned <laughs> with that, but no, we have to double down on it because where else can you go? Tim Keller, an amazing book, which, uh, which is going to be live on our private Facebook group in five minutes uh, for you to read. I love it. Short book. Uh, many, guys are re- many people that I respect would contend this is his finest work. He said, across the West and elsewhere, we are experiencing increasing amounts of political polarization. There is an enormous dissatisfaction with the political establishment, and people are willing to vote for candidates both right and left who would have been considered extreme just 10 years ago. This is one of the bitter fruits of the secular project, the first effort in history to build a cohesive society without a common set of shared moral and religious values. And so when Jesus is at the center, uh, when Jesus is at the center, things can change on that front. Hallelujah. (laughs) And my challenge to our Bay Vineyard tribe is that no matter which way you lean, left or right, or what, you have to be able to critique your own political tribe. Because it's like Jesus will challenge it all. And Jesus doesn't fit in, he fits in no political box. And this is actually called to be the alternative society, showing the world what it can look like when actually you come back to this place uh, where Jesus is on the throne. And this, ra- like, this is why I'm a pastor. I've said this many times. It's th- because I believe we're called to be a radical countercultural that goes viral. A beautiful community of faith, hope, and love, as we are talking about last week. Filled with people learning to grow in love, joy, and peace. 
as they learn to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Like, man, that that's, gets my leg twitching, and we are tracking in the right direction. We are tracking in the right direction. And so if you are, like, no, most of us are like, man, I'm dissatisfied, there's got to be more. There's just got to be more. Like, I want, like, you, if you're going to double down on anything, double down on Jesus, church. Like, double down on friggin' Jesus, man. Just be like, I'm just going to fully go in a whole nother level in terms of putting Jesus at the center of everything. And, uh, and Jesus said some beautiful things around this. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Like some of you are here this morning and you're literally here because you're asking and you're seeking and, and you're knocking. And like God wants to, he wants to, he wants to give it to you. He, he wants you to find it and he wants, you to, he wants to open the door so you'll discover how good he really is. And then in verse 13, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, uh, to, uh, uh, who ask him? And so here's what, you know, I'm like, uh, in fact, there's a couple of other passages. There's heaps of, there's so much of this in the Bible. Blessed are those who keep their statutes. Psalm 119 is filled with this, and seek him with all of their hearts. Hebrews 11, we talked about last week, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I love this. But here's the thing. A lot of the time, we think resonance is the same as obedience. So we're like, oh, yeah, cool. I, I, yeah, I'm getting it in the room this morning, which I always love. Preachers love this. Like, oh, that's good, Harvey. Yeah, yeah, this is good. But resonance does not equal obedience. And the thing is, I'm finding sometimes that people are in wilderness places in their spiritual lives and so then I'm like, well, what does it look like to ask, seek, and knock in real terms? Because just thinking about it is not ask, asking, seeking, and knocking. Just thinking about it is not seeking him. Like there, literally, there's got to be something that starts shifting for you. Because the reality is that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So like to ask, seek, and knock is to literally be like, I'm going to change some stuff that would reflect the heart that's hungry for more. There's some things that are going to start shifting in terms of asking for more. Uh, again, for Josiah, like, what does it look like? It looks like a change of lifestyle, where it's no longer just not a priority to have some devotional. It's a priority, and it's a priority because he keeps turning up at 7 o'clock in the morning uh, at Milk and Honey Cafe every week, and he confesses when he's had a rubbish week. It's very gentle confession, but it's the acknowledging. But then, like, just as you do that, you're transformed because you've got this gentle accountability, which Jesus had for three years with his disciples that transformed them. And so there's an intentionality there. Like, like Josiah clearly wants a devotional life because he keeps turning up. There's a, like, he wasn't doing that 12 months ago, but 10 months ago, something changed. And he came into an environment that gave him the opportunity to grow. And so rather than saying, I want a devotional life, but doing jack squat about it, he started turning up. And then fast, and again, Rachel Hunter doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. So again, every sermon just about that comes out. But it, we're, we're a microwave culture, drive-through culture. We want instant change in terms of sanctification. But it's like, you know what? It's taken 10 months to get him to the point where there's a degree of consistency, and then it's starting to spill over missionally. That's awesome. But it started with not just, uh, you know, uh, like just wish it. it was an, there was an intention there, but then there was the means as well. So here there's, we've got in our home churches, we're trying to create a culture where people can grow in their discipleship journey. That's all I'm interested, to be honest. 
and you can be here and anonymous and just hang out with us for a while and just spectate. It's fine. Be wherever you want. But at a certain point, I'm like, there's an on-ramp, home churches, upper clicks, whatever it is, where we cheer each other on on this discipleship journey. And so what does it look like to do that? Well, here's, here's a bunch of ideas. Fast social media and the news and fill that time with God's stuff. We are so formed by culture and by news and by an outrage thing, and we're formed by, re- like news is literally, the, I said this last week, the worst things that have happened today, please read this. If you read that every day, what's gonna happen to your worldview of the world? Are you hearing me? I'm actually got a sermon, which I don't have enough Sundays to do this, this year, which I'm annoyed about that actually is talking about what's actually happening in the world today on all the important metrics for people around the world, around education and around healthcare, and the, the news is fantastic. It's incredible what's happening in the world today. It's one of the best times to be alive on all the key metrics. But we don't, it's very quiet, no one believes me, because you're so, you are so consumed with reading the worst of every day that that's your worldview. And if I ask people, do you think the world's getting better or worse? I reckon 99% of people would say worse. That is not true. Right? Good. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I just want to preach that sermon now. It's really annoying. So anyway, so fast all that stuff and fill yourself with the goodness of God. Fast all that stuff. I'm not saying forever. Like Matt's done that for a while now. Did that over, over the um, school holiday. You're still doing that. I think you're trying your best. You may be a little wobbly. That's all good. Because <laughs> it's very addictive, all that stuff. And so it's like, but it, you know, and I'm, I've done that for seasons as well. Do you know how good it is? We are not hard, like we are hardwired. Oh man, I've got this. I've got, I've got, I've got time issues already. We're actually wired to care about what's happening in this community in terms of the difficulty, not the whole world. That's how God wired us. And you are meant to be connected to a village and to care for the people going through tricky stuff in that village. That's what's meant to be occupying up here. You can't, like, we are not physiologically wired to handle what we consume every day. Anyway, so, so, so maybe we need to fill ourselves with the God stuff rather than the rest of that stuff. Again, that's cultural formation. I'm all about spiritual formation. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, again, where you get your devos going. This is why I'm passionate about this idea of a rule of life where basically, basically if you're hungry for God, you're going to look at your daily and weekly patterns and schedule and intentionally begin bending them and forming them and shaping them so it actually reflects the hunger in your heart for more of God. Uh, pursue Jesus, ask, seek, and knock. Honestly, we've got the devotional module on our website there. You can just start it on your own. I don't care, just get hungry for it. Start with an emotionally healthy spirituality devotional. Respond to every altar call we give. That's what it looks like to be hungry. Choose to have a food fast for a week where you just hunger after God. That's what it looks like to ask, seek, and knock. We've got to come back. If you're hungry for more, there's some things you can do that would reflect that, and then he will meet you in a new way. I I can guarantee you that. Again, it may not happen overnight, but it will happen. You will crack through into a new space and a new relationship, a new intimacy with God, and you will move out of a spiritual desert place into a place of new life as you choose Him. He he has the words of life 
Again, your words of eternal life aren't like the words, oh, you've got the life that see us go to heaven when we die. That's how many people in the West hear that. The words of eternal life are heaven breaking into earth. You have the words of life, of that heavenly realm. You have the words that you can speak into my soul and see me lead into life, which is why we are doing uh, the BBC Nights thing. I'm like, there's a hunger in me, and even if it's me and just 10 other people, I do not care because I'm hungry for more. So we're going to go old school, and we're going to do like a 90s night service, and I can't wait. Extended worship testimony, teaching, and ministry. Hallelujah. And then Burger King. It's like we're going to do the old school night service because I'm, t- I'm like, you know, and some people get, you know, I've got friends that are cynical about night services and cynical. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not here for cynical people. I'm here for hungry people. And I'm like, we're going back to the 90s when it comes to spiritual hunger in terms of night services, and I'd love to see you there. This is what, and all with, the, you know, to be honest, me and Matt and a whole bunch of others really like hanging out on Sunday night and watching Netflix, if I'm really honest. Uh, but, but, but this is in a sense that wanting to bless what God is doing, I hope, in our church, I think in our church, where there's a hunger for more. Uh, and, uh, and it's to position ourselves in places where we can say, yeah, we want more of you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. And so as you move out of that, uh, as, you, as you grasp this, and we start getting the sense of like, man, there is a, uh, there is a, oh, I'm going to stop there because everyone's reading it. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Uh, and then, then what happens is that we become this countercultural community, actually who we're always meant to be as the church. This is why I am so pumped up about what God's doing in our time. I'm like, wow, what a privilege we get to be part of this pruning work of God that would see us bear much fruit. I'm convinced of it. If those that are up for it, man, we're going to go on a very exciting ride over the next five, year, five ten years or until we see him return in glory. Hallelujah, right? Uh, the, the vision is that there's a people devoted to God that over time influence and change society, right? That's the dream. And the harvest has never been more ripe because the secular project isn't working. So there's people hungry. Now, simultaneous to that, you've got a full-on attack of the church and its reputation. That's ramping up and will definitely go crazy over the next couple of months with all the vaccine passport and some of the more extreme views out there. But that doesn't mean that we can't embody something that's the beautiful reality of the God of, of love and the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, and that people will be attracted to the beauty of it and see it for what it really is. That's on us to live it out and to be the embodied people of God. And he does change societies. Like, friends, uh, in 1901, as far as stats tell us anything, less than 1% of Korea were Christ- uh, South Korea were Christian. The stats didn't even register. The most recent survey shows 29% of the Korean population self-identifies self Christian. Like in one generation. That's amazing. What's happening in Africa is amazing. On uh, any given Sunday in Nigeria, so like today, there are more Christians worshipping in Nigeria than in the UK, the USA, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand put together. There's 80 million believers in Nigeria. God's moving there. It's unreal. And there's huge persecution against the church as well. There's all sorts of martyrdom going on there at the same time. What I love this, according to the Pew Research Center, a staggering 89% of Nigerian Christians attend church services at least once a week. And in the USA, it's about 40%. I don't, have not crunched the numbers on my vineyard, and I'm not, I'm not going to. <laughs> Hungry for God. 
God's moving and he's changing societies. China, when the bamboo curtain went down, missionaries had been doing work there, but the, the numbers did not register. So from 1910, the bamboo curtain comes down, no one knows what's going on, all the missionaries are kicked out. In the late 70s, as that curtain slowly rises, people expect to see no formal sign of a Christian church, but it's gone viral. But it went viral. And there's an, the stats, I've been spending ages trying to work out an accurate-ish stat, but they reckon around 100 million Christians in China today. Like, man, we have not lost our desire for a move of God in this city, in this region. That's why we have the engine room. That's why we have the prayer meeting. We have, I, we have not lost faith. But here's what revival is. Revival is when personal renewal goes viral. Like that's, that's what rev- so that's when like Josiah is spending enough time in the presence of God and it's not just some cultural Christianity where you just come along to church on a Sunday, but you've got deep roots and a deep devotional practice. And inevitably what happens is that you start living a courageous, adventurous Christian life and things start happening. And that's how the world gets changed when people start living it. And the invitation is for everyone. Everyone gets to play. But it's an invitation. He will not force that on you. And I wish I could turn this into a cult where I could make everyone do it, but I can't either. And we're not going to. It's always an invitation. It's always an invitation. It's always an invitation. Because if we did a cult, everyone would leave us anyway. And I was like, nope, out. <laughs> Wise move. Um, okay, I'm going to have to work out what I cull here. Oh, Lord, give me grace. Okay, so uh, I finished with this. Uh, Tim Keller, in his uh, book, uh, quotes this guy, uh, a book called um, uh, Destroyer of the Gods, looking at the influence uh, of uh, Christianity in the Roman world, even though it was most persecuted of all religions and carried significant social cost. Uh, there was this radically different community. It was radically for five ways, according to Larry Hurtado. He, he reckons it was, uh, it was incredibly powerful because it was a multiracial and multi-ethnic community, which I love. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a place of incredible unity. And this is where I've been talking about this uh, online, and I hope you've listened to those talks. But like, one of the things we need to learn is what it means to be centered around Jesus, not about our views on vaccines or vaccine passports or political things. Jesus is what unifies us. That's what makes us brothers and sisters. And the pursuit and hunger of Jesus unifies us as a people so that very diverse people can come under the lordship of Jesus. Multiracial, multi-ethnic. Highly committed to caring for the poor and marginalized. Again, radically different. And we're passionate about this. We've got all sorts of updates around our Manawa order trust, but again, I'm hoping and praying that we're embodying this every day. Highly committed, a non-retaliatory, marked by a commitment to forgiveness. The early Christians were notable in that if you attacked or killed them, they did not organize retaliation or get revenge. They were famous for experiencing death in arenas or by execution as they prayed for their prosecutors, following the examples of Stephen and Jesus himself. And so this is uh, this was the early church, right? Was a pacifist movement of non-violence, uh, and uh, and this deeply challenged that violent world in which they lived. Strongly and practically against abortion and, and infanticide, um, and so uh, again, the, this is something we're passionate about. But 
I'm very proud of Raising Hope again. There's a whole bunch of updates there that we've got to get out to you guys at some point. We aren't just saying, hey, government, you know, legislate. We're like, no, what does it look like to walk into the lives of people that have unexpected pregnancies and love them and give them a choice? And, and we say to mums, hey, we'll give you free baby supplies for a year and we're going to put aunties around you and we're going to help you so, to care for that child that you didn't think you were going to have, but you're having now and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So it's not just... Uh, just strongly but practically against this. The church in New Zealand is strong against it, but I've seen very little practical when it comes to actually walking into the lives of vulnerable women. And then a revolutionary sex ethic. Um, sex was not for self-gratification, but was for giving one's whole life in a consensual marriage covenant. Uh, and so again, this is incredible. And then I would add that God's power was manifest in those communities. And so then listen to this by Keller. Have I got it up here? Yes, I do. The early church community was both offensive and attractive. The believers did not construct this community as a way to reach Roman culture. Rather, each of the five elements listed above characterized the early church because Christians sought to submit to biblical authority. They are all commands as well as implications of the gospel. These five elements are just as category-defying today and just as offensive and attractive today. The first two views based on ethnic diversity and caring for the poor sound liberal. The last two views on abortion and sexual ethics sound conservative. And the third element, being non-retaliatory, sounds like no particular party today and is commonly rejected in today's culture of outrage, speaking to the American church. Right? I love it. You can't pin it down. But there's something radically countercultural to that community because Jesus is at the center, and that's what turned the world upside down. And that's what turned the world upside down. That's why Jesus is so captivating. That's why the merita narrative of Scripture is so compelling. You can read the Bible in a way that's destructive. You can read it in a way that's confusing. But if you read it well and study it with humility and wisely and you're guided well, you'll discover a richness that surpasses every other worldview. It can't be beat. It is absolutely stunning. So Jesus at the center. Whom shall we go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God.